Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. Tom Gordon joins us on Sports Byline, a right-hander who pitched for 21 seasons, four each with the Royals, Red Sox, and Philadelphia. And in 1998, he won the Rolades Relief Man of the Year Award, and he led the American League in saves and in games finished, and he set a then MLB record with 54 consecutive saves. You know, Tom, it's interesting about nicknames for players in sports, particularly in baseball, but tell me a little bit how you got yours, Flash, and who gave it to you. Well, I tell you what, man, it was funny because, you know, with me, my last name being Gordon, um, you know, going into that, people called me back home, called me Tomcat, you know, and that name I, I just really adored and, 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 you know, it was close to people that I knew, so they kind of gave it to me at home. But once I got into pro ball, you know, I remember Bo, Bo Jackson first calling me that and then uh, Kevin Sice are kind of jumping on tune and, and on board and they started to both starting to call me that. So I can't remember exactly who first came up with it. But I remember coming to the clubhouse, and it was like Flash has arrived in town. And uh, it just kind of took off. So I come through the minor leagues, and a couple guys were kind of like throwing it around, but nobody really kind of set it up and etched it in stone. But, you know, it's a name that I'm greatly, I, I you know, I, I wear proudly. I'm grateful for the guys uh, that I played with kind of gave it to me because I've always felt like you got to earn a nickname. And uh, I was fortunate enough that those guys – uh, liked me as well as I enjoyed the nickname that they gave me. So it just kind of wore run with me and came on with me my entire career. But, Tom, you do know that uh, nicknames can have be a two-edged sword. <laughs> and I <laughs> I mean that because the fans can get very creative with those nicknames as oh, well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that like, uh, having a, a name like that and maybe going uh, to Chicago or going to Philadelphia or someplace with a nickname? Uh, how did the fans react to it? I tell you what, it was really great because it, the song came with it. The song came with it. The music came with it. I never even had to tell anyone what uh, you know song I wanted to come out with because today that's a big thing. You're coming out song. Guys want to hear their music when they get ready to play or hit or whatever. And for me, I never even got a chance to even speak about it because they were like, "This is your song, and this is the song that you're coming out to." And I was like, "Man, I got no problem with it at all. I like the song anyways, and not only that, I love the nickname." So it went hand in hand. Chicago greeted me nicely with it. It was like, Flash, you're saving the day. Uh, and it was it was great. It just came along with me from Boston to New York to Chicago. And, I mean, it was just wonderful being in those cities that really just 
really just look forward to seeing me come in the game in those moments with the song just blasting loud. Yeah, what was that coming out song for you, Tom? Flash Gordon. Flash comes to save the day. It was just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, is is that uh, players today, when they have their coming out or coming up to the plate song, I often wonder what process they go through to be able to pick uh, their song. Now, you have a son, of course, that's in the major leagues as well. Tell me about him. What did he pick? I, you know what? I remember asking him, I said, son, well, what kind of songs do you like? And he's kind of all over the place. You know, and which is good. He likes pretty much everything, and I like that because there's times where I've heard all sorts of rap, and I've heard also R&B. I've heard some pop, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm I, I enjoy rock and roll. I enjoy country. I, I like all sorts of music and something. And, and for the most part, he does as well. But you know, I just can't really get a tone for which one he comes out the most to. <laughs> I do know that he listens to a lot of different music, and and I like that. Yeah, you grew up in Avon, Florida. Tell me a little bit about your family and growing up there. Yeah, mom and dad was uh, worked on you know uh, every job and every chance that they got to basically make ends meet. And uh, you know we were a very wholesome family, loving family. They raised us to be uh, caring and and really good character people, and uh, that was you know something that we really loved because church and going to church each and every week was very very uh, important to my mom and my my parents and. It also helped mold us to who we are, uh, my brothers and sisters, as well as even my kids is what I, I brought them up into believing that being a Christian and loving Christ is the right way and the only way. And, you know, you have to have some directions. If not, you don't have any directions of goal. You're probably not going too far. So I was grateful with that little hometown that I came up into. I, I mean, I love it. I cherish that my hometown. And we get an opportunity to just share how much we actually love each other as well as you know, the things that we participated in, everybody in that town kind of helped mold as well as love a child. And it's such a wonderful town. I mean, such a wonderful town, wonderful people, and a very sports-oriented town. I mean, I love the football, love the basketball team, really support the baseball. And the kids just get an opportunity to be kids in that town. So I grew up in a very, very special place, and it's close to my heart and dear to my heart and always will be because, you know, Avon Park is what, help me to become the person that I am, and I'm grateful for that. Let me tell you a story about baseball in the church. I went down to visit my mother down in South Florida, and I was driving back to a Miami International Airport, and I was on the freeway, but I looked over to my right, and I saw in the middle of a vast open area this white church, and in the back of it were a bunch of African-American families, of course, and they were playing baseball. The shirts were rolled up, you know, the sleeves and everything, and they were mm-hmm. playing baseball and everything. And what a what a striking image that was. I mean, there was something about the black community and, and African Americans and their love for baseball and talking to Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and others like that. Maybe you can help me understand that that love for the sport. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I grew up in that era where my dad and my uncles um, they played in the leagues, these leagues down here that just kind of barnstormed and run around from town to town, um, having a game on Sunday or having a game on Saturday and Sunday and everybody coming out and participating. I grew up in that time where I got a chance to see firsthand that, you know, in the African-American communities, how much baseball was dear. You know, after church, we would leave church at about 1 o'clock and head to the baseball field. And if that was uptown at Head Field, or in Haines City, Lake Wales, or, or, or any other surrounding area, the whole entire town, the whole entire town and our community went together. So it was great because, you know, we, we idolized, you know, 
um, Hank Aaron, we idolized uh, all the great Sancho Page. I, you know, growing up as a kid, my dad talked about all these great players that he wished he could have played against as well as he could have got that opportunity to be a professional baseball player. So, you know, I heard a whole lot about him, and I knew a lot about the Negro Leagues because I look forward to seeing uh, what, you know, somebody was doing and hearing about the old times as well as the olden times. You know, my family's actually originated from South Carolina. And we would go back every year, and they would have a huge um, community uh, baseball tournament. And, I mean, there was teams from all over the place would come. And I was a little kid. I remember being in my dad's uniform and getting out there and hearing, uh, you know, all the stories about Josh Gibson and the great, you know, players that played back in the Negro League, and as well as some of the guys and the stories that they had around town. So I, it was always a wonderful feat and, and, and great that we got a chance to get out of church. And once we got out of church with the family, here we go straight to the ball field. Either we were in, you know, nice dressed or we got a chance to go back home and put on our own baseball pants. And we made a game out of it even as kids. Uh, our library has a large collection, maybe even the largest of uh, Negro League baseball players. I've done those interviews and I, I, I feel it's important to to remember and capture the history of the game, particularly for African-Americans. And I'll never forget one interview I had, and you may know of her, Peanut Johnson. She was the only woman in the Negro Leagues, and I mean she was a good one. She won more than 20 games over four seasons, uh, mm-hmm. you know, collectively each season. And, and I'm just blown away about, you know, the history of the game uh, and what it meant, uh, aside from what we just talked about. What is the one thing about the, the Negro Leagues that people should remember about it? You know, the most important thing is that the game was loved by so many and, and, and by everybody. Um, the Negro Leagues represented character. They represented grace. They represented love and compassion for our community, but also throughout America. And it gave, uh, you know, our kids, African-American kids, the opportunity to have hope that someday they could be the next Satchel Page and they could be the next uh, Josh Gibson, they could be the next great that could come through our communities and give us hope to play as well as be able to say that, hey, we came through a rough time in our lives, but we also now have hope that something good will happen with seeing our athletes out there on the field and competing. You know, to have um, Jackie Robinson go through everything that he did to transcend baseball into something so great to where everybody can actually you know, live it, love it, as well as partake into it was was something that we could never, ever um, forget. And with what he was able to do, it gave all of us a chance to see how the Negro Leagues played a major part in baseball throughout and and the the history of the game and the life that those guys were able to go through and the times that they had to go through to make things better for all of us players down the line. You know, I'll never, ever forget what Kurt Flood was able to do with Major League Baseball and, you know, becoming a free agent as well as not just signing because he wanted the best for the game later on was instrumental to baseball. So there's so many opportunities that has happened uh, from African-Americans making this thing such a wonderful uh you know, open the opportunities up for such a wonderful time for kids nowadays to have that opportunity to play worldwide is is amazing. 
One of my favorite conversations is with the late Buck O'Neill. We had many and many a conversation, and he was always so positive. Hold on just a second, Tom. We're talking baseball with former right-handed pitcher for 21 seasons in the majors, Tom Gordon. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about his career, how he went from a starter to being a reliever. We do that as we continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on America's Sports Talk Show. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tom Gordon has joined us here on Sports Byline. Again, pitcher, both starter and relief pitcher for 21 seasons, and he also won a World Series championship, which we'll talk about in just a second. You you began your career as a starting pitcher with Kansas City. You appeared in five games at the age of 20. That was uh, late in 1988. Were you prepared for Major League Baseball at that time? What about the maturation process you have to have to play at that level? Yeah, I, you know what? I tell you, I was more excited i would say i wouldn't say that i was totally ready or prepared i think in in a lot of ways i had pitched so well um and of course i was understanding my abilities to pitch to where it gave me that opportunity to get in there and 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 and, and you know get some starts but i think what really mostly happened is uh brett saberhagen mark gubazar charlie lebrand those guys were such great pitchers and starters to where the royals knew that if those guys was pitching as well as they could pitch, and everything was going well, and everyone was healthy, season was going well. We could take more chances with younger players and give them an opportunity to be around such great superstars. And that, for the most part, helped me down the line more than anything else. Because I think eventually coming up and getting that opportunity to start, I didn't feel like – I felt like it, it. I was definitely deserving of it because of the way I pitched in the minor league, but I didn't think that you know, uh, I was totally – uh, mature enough to actually understand everything that was taking place, but at the same time understand that now is the time for me to make a, you know, a stance on where I am with my abilities. And and the Royals gave me that opportunity because of those three guys, as well as things had to happen with someone else. I mean, I went out there and it was, it, 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 you know, first couple games I had, I was a little bit starstruck. I still was trying to understand where I was and. Um, you know, being 20 years old and coming from a small town, I was excited about that moment. I really did, and I appreciated every single, you know, pitch I got a chance to throw as well as the, the length of time that I was out there. But, you know, you go out in the game, and the first thing happens is you're trying to make sure that you do everything right when there you're trying to make absolutely sure you go out there and have fun. You know, it's still a game that you love. It's still a game that you compete at every single day. But now the picture is bigger and the stage is a lot bigger. So you've got to make absolutely sure you limit your mistakes and, you know, you try and make 
you know, pitches when it counts, the best pitches when it counts. Like when the situation dictates a, 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 a ground ball for a double play, you're trying to get that ground ball for a double play. And see, a lot of those things I didn't understand yet. But I had the tool set and I had the skills as well as I had pitched well enough to deserve those opportunities to start. And like I said, I, I credit the organization for giving me that opportunity, but I also credit the guys that was around me because – Balls were hit hard, and guys made plays. And up there, that's what happens. Those guys make their plays, and, you know, they capitalize on mistakes. And I had to learn to cap- to limit the mistakes as a young player and now start to mature and understand their skill set that I was having so I could go out there and stay for six or seven innings. Uh, Tom, when I'm around the ballpark today, I don't hear players talking about who mentored them uh, on the way up. But I know during the period of time in which you played, there was always someone that put their arm around the young player, and said, hey, rookie, let me tell you, uh, this is how we do it and everything. And, and you mentioned a couple of guys, Brett Saberhagen and, and Gubaza uh, as well. But what is it about kind of mentoring a pitcher that's different from mentoring an every position, every day type of player? Yeah. Well, I, you know, for me as a, as, as a pitcher, the one thing that I needed was a guy to be able to talk me through the situations that came up when I wasn't pitching, to learn from someone that had – uh, that was doing it day to day. That understood, you know, what it takes to get ready today to prepare for the game, and then the next day, what to actually get yourself prepared for, and then you get yourself prepared three, four days down the line, and have that continual um, program and programming of yourself, as well as coaching yourself and teaching yourself to have, to get yourself in position for that next start. I mean, Brett Saberhagen became one of the closest friends I got. And I love the guy because the time he would take up to just talk pitching, to, to, to you know, be there for a young player and say, hey, look, if you're trying to think this guy through as well as trying to get this guy out, you need to learn how to set these guys up. You need to learn to pitch in as well as subtract from your fastball as well as throw your change up and utilize your curveball and your slider if that's the case. Um, and, you know, pitching is, is an art. And those guys that was able to make it easy – some of them really coached well, too. And Brett Saberhagen was one of the best coaches I had. Um, one of the best friends, but also one of the guys that were willing to teach a young player as well as help a young player and mentor him as a starter. When it comes to guys that I've seen, like, you know, Gary Sheffield is one of my favorite teammates and one of my closest, dearest friends. Bo Jackson is one of my favorite teammates as well and one of my dearest friends. Those guys talked to the hitters, and they really went out there and tried to teach a young guy what to look for, uh, how to approach a guy with, you know, certain selective stuff that, you know, he's good with his mechanics, he's good with his control, he's good first pitch strikes. They're trying to teach these guys how to get themselves in position to make adjustments. And I think that's the biggest thing a young player needs to understand is that every single day on any given day, you have to make an adjustment. And when you can do that, you can become a superstar in the major leagues. But it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of understanding. And great players are willing to coach kids or give guys that information that was never just meant for them, in, but meant to share. In your first full season, you went 17-9. and nine. You had a 3.64 ERA. You finished second in the Rookie of the Year balloting. And, of course, you mentioned, of course, some of the great players that you were with on the Kansas City Chiefs. And Bo Jackson is one that everybody talks about because they know about the broken bat situation and everything. But as a baseball player, you as a professional watching another person as a professional in your sport, what was it that amazed you about what he was able to do? Man, I tell you, he was exciting. You know, for him as an athlete, as big as he was, as tall, you know, the strength, the stamina, 
the size and the speed. I mean, it was it was remarkable to watch. I mean, to see him hit a ground ball, and there's still a very good chance that a shortstop don't make the play, and he can have a great arm. It was un- it was just it was just something that you do you don't see all the time, and and to watch him hit a ball in the gap. I mean, it was unreal uh, to see also him defensively make a play and then run up a wall uh, or throw a ball from the from the warning track all the way into home plate on one bounce and get the runner, the lead runner going. I mean, the plays that he made as well as his athletic skill set was just unreal. To watch this guy make plays how he did, uh, he made it easy, and he made it look very easy. And and I was that was to me. Bo Jackson was always one of the most exciting football players I'd ever seen. I watched him through college, loved him growing up, and then I got the the um, the chance of a lifetime of being a teammate. But then also living in his house with him for two and a half years. I mean, I lived at his house with him and Linda and the kids, and so I became like family to them. But to see some of the things he was able to do and accomplish, my first year in the major leagues, when I watched him get ready to. You know, for the baseball season to be over in, you know, September, middle of September, and now he's going down in the weight room of his house and starting to lift weights to get ready for football. I mean, it was unreal to watch because you're thinking baseball season is still not over. And if you continue to get stronger and bigger and faster and then get yourself ready for football, you might, you know, get a little tight and, and may not be as loose for baseball, but he still made it work. And then go out there on the football field in a week and run a touchdown. I mean, it was unreal some of the things he was able to do. And, um, you know, his focus and concentration was, was some of the some of the best I'd ever seen because it'd have been hard for any other athlete to just get ready during the base, middle of baseball season and get ready for a football season the first week go run a touchdown. Yeah, we only have two minutes before we have to break again, Tom. But uh I watched him, of course he was with the Raiders, so I watched him run over a lot of people and uh I would have never wanted to be a defensive player and see him coming at you. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. tell me about it. And I know You're absolutely right. And I know this is speculation, but if he had been able to stay healthy, how good do you think he might have been in baseball? I you know what? I, I asked him this question once. I said, Buzz, uh I said, What do you think you could possibly do as a major league hitter someday? I mean what are the what are the actual goals you set for yourself and how well do you think you can become that guy as soon as you he said flash the moment football stops for me and i decide to end football as my career then baseball is going to be totally something that i do all the time i could be better than a 275 280 hitter and a 275 280 hitter all the time in the major leagues and as many home runs as he he was he already hitting i mean you're thinking wow he was hitting 260 268 something like that and they go up to about 280 he's going to probably put himself in position to be one of the top hitters in the game. And he was already close to that. But, you know, he was also still getting ready for football. And that took a lot and a toll on anybody. That would have taken a toll on any any other athlete. But he was the one that could make it work. And he did. In about 30 seconds, I always came away in my discussions with him and just watching him feeling that maybe baseball made him a better football player, and football made him a better baseball player. Am I correct in that observation, you think? I, you know what, I think that could have been a part of it because I think he needed both of them to be the star he was. And he he made that thing work because of who he is, his character as well as his athletic skill set. No, I agree with you. Tom, hold on just a second. We're talking with Tom Flash Gordon, a right-hander who pitched for 21 seasons, four each with the Royals, Red Sox, and Philadelphia. And while he was with Philadelphia, he got injured in the year in which they won the World Series championship, but he picked up a World Series championship ring, which we will be talking about. 
And prior to the 1996 season, he signed a free agent deal with the Red Sox, and it was the Red Sox who converted him from a starting pitcher to a closer, and then his career really reignited, and we're going to be talking about that as well. And he had Tommy John surgery. We hear a lot about that with pitchers, and we're going to get into that too, what it meant and how he responded to it and what the challenge was when he came back and tried to pitch after it. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tom Gordon has joined us here on Sports Byline. I mentioned prior to the break about uh, prior to the 96 season, you signed as a free agent with the Red Sox, and it was the Red Sox that converted you from a starting pitcher to a closer. Dennis Eckersley and I have had conversations about this because he followed the same path. He was a starter only to become a reliever as well. And, Tom, how did you approach that? Because when you've been a starter, there's an ego involved with being a starter, and you have to change that ego a little bit if you're yeah. going to become a reliever. Tell me how you approached it when they suggested that you do that. Well, I, you know, at first I actually thought in some cases it was a little bit of a demotion. I felt like I was still learning, but also going through the process of trying to understand, you know, um, how well I actually – uh, could be, how much better I could become as well as how much better I could become using other pitchers. Like I knew I needed to develop the changeup uh, and whether or not that was going to work for me, I needed to find that out during the off season and not try to, you know, get that pitch going for me during the season. And now it took away from the pitch that I knew got me to the big league, which was my curveball. So for early on, it, it was, you know, it was a little bit of a tough, you know, spell, but at the same time, I think the Red Sox and the way they handled it, it they put it, in a position, they put me in a position to understand my skill set. I didn't have to throw a changeup, but I needed to use that curveball more and more each day. And my body and the way I felt, I felt that I could pitch four or five times a week. So for me, when they first brought it to me, of course I'm thinking, wow, you know, not sure if I like this whole idea because I still think I got a lot more in the tank to become and to understand as a starter. And and I will figure it out. I was already with you know, Brett Saberhagen, so I was around Roger Clemens as a starter, so I knew that there were things I was going to learn and wasn't totally sure yet if that was going to work, but at the same time, when they gave me a little time to think about it, it made all the sense in the world because I was basically more of a two-pitch to three-pitch kind of guy, and I utilized the curveball a whole lot. So it made sense that I could get back to using just two pitches and be very, very effective with two pitches. And it gave me as much time to pitch, you know, to feel like an everyday player. And I wanted that because I felt like I could still hit, even though I wasn't going out there getting the bat. I, I grew up playing shortstop, so I loved playing every single day. And I felt like there was times where, you know, I had so much downtime to where I, you know, I needed to make something happen. I wanted to feel like I was a part of the team. And getting an opportunity to go out and become a reliever, as well as close, I was able to pitch four or five days a week, and I thought that that was going to help my career. Yeah. So after I yeah after I sat on it for a day or two, I mean it was it, it felt like I was just making that transition to becoming the guy that I needed to become. 
You know, it's fascinating, too, because if you think about being a starting pitcher, you know you're going to be pitching every fifth day. You get together with your catcher on game day. You go over the hitters you're going to be able to face. If you're in the bullpen, you don't know when you're going to come into that game. You don't know who you're going to be facing and what the situation is going to be. And then, as you said, you may have gone along the night before in a game, and then you know you have to come in and and close it out or set it up in some particular way. Uh, how long did it take you to get the right mindset to be a close, uh, not only a closer but also a reliever? Well, like I said, it probably took me a couple of days, and here's why: because I felt in my mind that they brought the situation to me the right way, and what needed to happen was for me to be able to get in my mind that, okay, now that I'm not going to start and they're going to put me in the fire. Now I need to think like a start. I mean, I need to think like a reliever, but not abandon what I've done very, very well. To me, it was, it was inviting. It was, um, it was definitely a challenge, but it gave me that sense of an everyday player. And I needed that because I felt like for me to play every day and for me to pitch every day, I didn't have to think. I was best when I didn't have to think. I just wanted to pitch. I wanted to challenge hitters. And I knew what I wanted to do when I got to that situation of utilizing my breaking ball. So going through a meet, going to the meetings, I had an idea of my breaking ball. I knew what I wanted to do with it, and I knew when I wanted to throw it. And don't remember, I also faced a lot of those guys. They were already hitters that I had seen as a starter. So I had an idea of how to face them and when to challenge them on certain pitches. Now they weren't looking. They weren't seeing me three or four times a game. It gave me the edge, and I once I got the edge back in my hand, and I felt like, man, I can get this guy out with three straight curveballs. I mean, my confidence rose even more so. Tom was one of the all-time great ones. I'll tell you, 1998. I remember that season. You set the club single-season record with 46 saves and 43 of those in a row. And that success continued in 1999 when you set a major league record with the, your 54th consecutive save. You have always been ba- bothered to some degree by arm problems, and, and you had uh, Tommy John surgery in 2000. And I think most people have heard about Tommy John surgery, but how did you approach that surgery? Yeah, it, you know, today I even tell the kids, I tell the guys that are coming through that have had it. You know, it's definitely something that once you have gone through it, and you get that feel again, it's something that's behind you. But the process, the understanding that there's so many ups and downs, you know, going through, you know, having the surgery as well as trying to come back from it. The rehab is as tough as any rehab you'll ever go through because those days where it feels good and now you can go out there and try to do a little bit more, uh, stretch a little bit more, apply a little bit more pressure to it to try to get, get it to where you can start to flex it and utilize your wrist and elbow and forearm again. Every day is totally different for about six to eight months. And I think so many guys went that have gone through it, didn't understand and and didn't, um, you know, know that that feeling was going to be like that for at least 12 to 16 months. And I think a lot of people tried to come back too soon. But for me, I listened to so many other people, and I talked to so many other people about what they had already gone through. And I went to, you know, two of the best doctors in the world to have my surgeries done, and that's Dr. Andrews and Dr. Yoakum. And I was given the best information possible that I'm going to have a lot of ups and downs, but it's something that I can get through and endure down the line, and it'll be behind me. Eventually it will. So, you know, with having a pitch like the curveball, I mean, it it definitely put some torque on that, that forearm and elbow. 
but it also, as long as I was able to have the proper mechanic, took took away some of the stress. And it, it really, you know, it's a, it's a tough surgery. It really is a tough surgery. And a lot of young kids don't understand that. But at the same time, now we're seeing the progress from that surgery and how doctors have gotten a real understanding of what it takes to do it perfectly as right. And then the rehab now is so tremendous to where these guys are being able to come back in 12 months and feel a whole lot better. It took me 16 months to really feel good, but I went through that, that, that tough phases of it to where the grind and the everyday going through rehab for about six to eight months was, it was, you know, it was, all over the place. I couldn't figure out days when I felt good and days I didn't. But once I got to that point where I started to feel good and I started to feel consistently throwing healthy with no pain, then I was able to come back. I got to tell you, one of the strengths and reasons for your success was your adaptability, and that was certainly shown when you then played for the Yankees. You were an invaluable addition to really the Yankees' bullpen because you served as a setup guy for Mariano Rivera and also a middle reliever in those tough situations. I want to ask you two questions, about one about the adaptability, but also having to been on a team and, and being able to witness firsthand somebody like Mariano Rivera. What was the key to his success and consistency? It, you know what? Mo, Mo, was, Mo was one of the most professional people I've ever been around very professional, understood what it took for him each day to get ready, uh, to be mentally prepared, to be physically ready. I mean, he was on his game, and he was as sharp as a tack. I was really, really impressed with the way he would go down to the bullpen and watch other bullpens, see what other guys do well, take away, add to what they're doing to see if there's something that works for him as well as subtract something, and to see if it doesn't work, just get rid of it. But the things that he did with his own skill set with pretty much one pitch was phenomenal. And that one pitch was probably one of the most effective pitches in baseball today, and that's the cutter. He was able to transcend that pitch and make it the most dominant pitch in baseball for his entire career. To use it on both sides of the plate, in and out, to right-handers and left-hander, have pinpoint control, his mechanics had to be flawless. And he had his mechanics down, understood every single day what it took for him to get his mechanics right and in shape and to have an idea of, you know, what hitters he may be facing as well as the situations in the game. I mean, he was he was one of the most charismatic as well as confident guys I've ever been around. I watched this guy, and I was really impressed about how he went about it every single day. There was never a day I didn't see him work. Never a day. 2008 was a challenging year for you as well. Arm trouble again ended your season, but you were able to earn your only World Series ring while with the Philadelphia Phillies in that 2008 World Series. First of all, give me an overview on that season. What made that team so successful that season? Well, I tell you, there was a bunch of things. I mean, what was great, Charlie Manning was probably one of the best managers I've ever played for, and I never saw a person that, I mean, I've been around Joe Dupree, loved him, been around Billy Williams, um, Jimmy Williams and some of the other managers that I played for, and and, and I loved them. But I, I thought what Charlie May was able to do with the players that he had there was tremendous because he was able to find extra in those guys. And that's the sign of a great championship type of play, coach or manager. He can find ways to speak to you and help you to get more out of you that day. And he knew how to deal with his players. Each and every one of his players he dealt with differently. And guys love that because you now – take it personal 
to understanding what those guys need to help them become the best players on the field. To me, that was the first thing. He put the right coaches in the right place. Uh, the guys were able to help those guys get the best out of their abilities every single day. Our, our, work, our workouts every single day was ran perfectly. There was enough time on the field, but also it gave us enough time to kind of communicate, have our meetings, uh, to gel as a team. And it took a team effort. It took everybody in that clubhouse and everybody that came, you know, from different from trades or guys that came up to just fill in for spots from injured guys. It took everybody to get that 108 wins. And it was it was one of the most exciting times of my life and of my career because that was my 20th season. Not sure if I was ever going to get to a World Series. I had been on teams that were very, very close. But to have that happen for me, even after I had Tommy John, I mean, it was it was one of the most it was the most exciting time and one of the most exciting times of my career. And that that team jailed together. There were a lot of great things that happened with that team. And man, I tell you, I, I had never seen a more explosive offense. And you can't take anything away from way Cole Hamill's pitch. I mean, my God, that guy was on his game. He was absolutely on his game, and you could see it happening. Right around August or so, he started to every outing. It was just like seven innings, seven innings, seven innings, and he was just repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. Charlie and I had a conversation weeks before the actual playoffs, and. We were trying to figure out where we can put other guys, like the setup. You know, we had Ryan Matson, you had a couple other guys out there that was trying to find their way onto the playoff roster. And he knew how to push their buttons. He knew how to get everybody to jail as well as to get everybody on the same accord. And those guys pulled their end of the rope, and we ended up winning that thing because of the team effort. You think I was on the DL, but guys had to fill in for me because. You know, of course, we had Brian, uh, Brad Lidge at the end of the, 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 the game. We knew what he was going to do, but we also knew we had guys in between that needed to find places for them to pitch. And Charlie wasn't totally sure yet on who to make the roster out yet on. But guys found their way and found their way onto that roster, and, man, we ended up winning that thing. We only have one minute left, but when you think back on your long career and successful career, is there ever one moment that's kind of etched into Tom Gordon's mind that he'll never forget? Yeah, that, you know, I'll never forget the very first day I made it to the major league. I'm grateful in every way for God's grace and mercy on me that I got that opportunity to play a game that I loved as a child. And I tell all the kids that I meet, baseball is the most exciting game for me, and it can be for you if you apply the time and the effort. But going into Kansas City, I remember in the minor leagues I had a coach by the name of Jerry Cram, pitching coach, one of the one of my favorite coaches as well as one of my closest and dearest friends. He told me, he said, Flash, when you get to major league, you'll face Jose Canseco. And granted, I'm coming from, from Florida, so I knew who Jose Canseco was. I'd never seen him, but I had actually known who he was because Jose Canseco was one of the best players in the game, and now he's in the major leagues playing for the Oakland A's and playing great. And I would always say, man, I'd like to meet Jose Canseco. This is when he was a superstar with Oakland. And... He says to me, he says, Flash, when you get to the major league, first guy you're going to face, Jose Conseco. Sure enough, the first guy I face, Jose Conseco, strike him out. And I strike him out. That is amazing. I'm sure that is a very vivid memory in your mind. Tom, I want to thank you for sharing your life, for sharing, of course, your career as well. And you've done it in such an emotional, articulate, you can almost visualize the things you say. You are welcome here anytime on Sports Byline. Take care, my friend. Thank you, Ron. We appreciate it, man. And you take care as well. 
Tom Gordon with us. They called him Flash, and rightfully so. Right-hander who pitched 21 seasons, four each with the Royals, Red Sox, and Philadelphia. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.